Welcome to the Decipher podcast. In this episode, we talk to Tom and Andy about methods of delay analysis, what options are out there, how they work, and what the contracts say. Taking a look at some of the methods of delay analysis, what factors should you take into consideration before deciding which method you should use? Hi, Annie. Um, as a delay analyst, my method um, would always start from the contract to see what the contract prescribes, especially for um, analysing the delay. Um, there'll be a clause in there in which, um, of, uh, which method you can use in the analysis. And then there's always the, um, the next step would be the um, records, how much data the, um, the contractor has, um, has collected. Um, could be photographs, site diaries, uh, monthly progress reports, allocation sheets. All this would, um, it depends how much information you've got, depending on what method you're going to use. And for the, um, for the method, of analysis, you could always um, look at the SCL protocol. They will show you uh, several different types of uh, analysis, analysis to, to use, depending on what kind of uh, information you uh, receive. Is it common to have the method prescribed in the contract? So, Annie, it, it's rare. We do get it on occasions. I have seen it. Um, and actually, out of interest, where, where I've undertaken an analysis based on what the contract says, the opposing side... Um, uh, did actually argue that there wasn't actually their position, which was quite quite amusing. <laughs> On the rare occasions that's actually arisen, um, it, I wouldn't say it's that prescriptive very often, but it's more a case that the, the contract clauses perhaps prescribe a method uh, or imply a, a method um, by the wording of what, what, how they ask you to analyse the lay. Particularly the NEC contract is, as as, as you'll know quite prospective um, in its approach. JCT is a little bit more uh, wider to interpretation. It talks about um, the likely delay, impacting against mm-hmm. the likely, which is, would imply something prospective. It also mentions um, assessing against the actual delay, which is, can be construed as some, adopting a more of a retrospective approach. Um, but on occasions you see in the contract, not very often. Um, you'd hope that where you see it, it would lead to less debate uh, yeah. if you're over the correct method. But on the one occasion I have actually seen it written in, it actually led to more debate because the <laughs> they didn't actually want to agree to, to what it said. Um, so, you know, it's it's a good starting point to, you know, to always consider the contract. But I'll say more importantly, as Andy mentioned, the records. You know, you can only do certain methods with certain records that exist. And um, it, that can really limit your approach um, to, 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 to what you can do in the circumstances. Okay. Um, when you're looking at prospective methods, they're quite often criticised for being theoretical. And when we talked previously about the history and the court's approach to delay analysis, delay analysis um, you mentioned that the courts like a more common sense approach. So when, when you use prospective methods, how do you be sure that you corroborate the facts with, the, with what the delay analysis says? So I suppose the key, the key thing there is... Um, when we talk about prospective methods, is that they essentially they rely upon the planned intent of the works, and they quite often get criticised because um, the actual progress of the works differs to the planned. And what you, you get a situation where your model um, is criticised because it conflicts with reality, and the courts really don't like that. They, they want your modelling of, of delay to, to reflect the actual um, occurrence of delay on the project. Um, 
there is a place for prospective methods. Uh, and if you look at the SCL protocol, it, um, it does tell you when possibly you should use them. And it's mainly around the beginning of the project so, uh, or uh, during the course of the project. It, 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 it perhaps far to do a prospective method. Two main methods, uh, prospective analysis, uh, impacted as planned. Very theoretical, only really used if there's a delay pushing out the start date right at the beginning of the project. The alternative is what they call a time impact analysis, which is a prospective method that takes account of the contractor's progress. Um, a much fairer method to both parties. It, it accounts for the contractor's progress prior to when the alleged uh, employer delay event occurring, and it looks at the net effect of that employer delay event thereafter. Um, I guess there was a trend towards using a time impact analysis approach in the early 2000s, particularly off the, on the back of um, the first edition of the protocol, STL uh, Delay Instruction Protocol, which actually advocated using a, a time impact analysis in all circumstances. This led to a little bit of criticism in the courts because um, people or delay analysts had adopted uh, prospective methods after the event, after the works were finished, and mm -hmm. when really a retrospective approach should have been taken. And that's where the real criticism of prospective methods has come from. I think that the second edition of the SCL delay and protocol, uh, the 2017 edition, is a lot better. It now says you shouldn't really go with a prospective approach um, many months or time distant from the event occurring, the delay event. So it's perhaps a, a, a more streamlined approach with the new edition of the protocol, i.e. during the works, yes, use of a perspective, um, look at the anticipated likely effect of delay on an end date that's not yet arisen, but equally, after the work's complete, go back retrospectively and do something that um, you know that, that, that reflects what actually occurred on the project. And I think that's a, that's a good um, principled approach to take going forward. So, what about retrospective methods? What are some of those and the benefits of them? I mean, this is, this goes back to um, uh, record keeping. Record keeping. This is the actual facts. Um, it's more of a more of a solid solid approach, and um, less likely to be uh, challenged. If you have um, if you have photos that are um, stamped with a time and date, um, and the actual facts on um, site diaries and stuff, um, you're less likely to be challenged. So you can build a better story. And and do either of you have a preferred method that you like to use? And if so, why? I would I would. Actually, say the the retrospective um, method um, is because you're you're actually looking at um, uh, the facts again. I've spent ten months plus um, on on one case, just like building an as-built program, um, and I've used that using um, over ten thousand photos, um, and it's quite interesting looking at the um, the case and how they build it, but. I've also come across where it would take me a full eight hours looking at photos and only finding um, a couple of activities in a, in a large program. So it can be cumbersome, but it's still, it's still my preferred method. Um, once you've uh, once you've completed a, such a program like that, like an as built with thousands of photos and site diaries, etc., like it's. Um, you, you take it all the way to like an adjudication and stuff and you, you win the case, it's, um, it's quite fulfilling. And what about you, Tom? So yes, as Andy said, um, I guess 
I think what we're saying is, it is restaurant approaches are generally more time consuming because you do have to go through a mass of data to get the output or the analysis. Uh, but it is more robust, as Andy said, in, you know, it's hard to challenge and, and discredit because uh, it's the opposing side because it's based on facts. Um, generally, it's what adjudicators prefer, in my opinion, something that's based on the Ausbill program or what we call a, a time slash windows analysis, which is uh, looking at the uh, rate of progress over time. It's less manipulated because you're not adding in delay activities such as you get with, with the prospective methods. You're not trying to force um, where the footpath may lie. You know, the, the, the footpath is really explaining to you uh, in its own right from the analysis. And you're really looking at the, the, core, the effect of delay, or sorry, the cause of delay against that. So essentially the retrospective methods are what we call, we now call effect and cause methods. You look at the effect of delay first, and then you consider the instance of, of why that may have occurred. And they are generally seen as more, um, more robust than the perspective approaches, which are kind of a, a cause and effect, where you're almost trying to predetermine what, you know, what's caused, what, what the effect of delay is based on an event. And uh, it just opens more criticism in those perspective approaches uh, in that regard. So certainly retrospective, and then, you know, you can narrow that down to, to make the two main ones, which is an as planned, as built windows or time slice analysis windows. Uh, but essentially, the, the, the term windows is to split the, the, the program into discrete periods, perhaps monthly, and look at the evolving critical path. I think that's the key. Rather than say the critical path of the project went through this, how you know for, for, for these set of activities, how did that actually change over time? And they seem to be the preferred approach most experts adopt these days. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. While every effort has been made to ensure its accuracy, no reliance should be placed on the content or any opinions expressed at the time of recording. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll tune in again soon.